many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. I'm glad to be back uh, with you with our weekly show, uh, Taking Care of Business. Um, by the way, I hope our U.S. listeners enjoy their Memorial Day long weekend um, and are back to work. Our guest today is probably represents the biggest business in the world. Um, it's the church. However, we're not going to discuss the church's route to success, uh, financial status. Today, we're going to discuss the role of and importance of spirituality ha- that spirituality has, or maybe doesn't have, uh, in the business world. Uh, my guest today is a pretty flower, and I'll explain in a second. Uh, my guest today is Reverend Dr. Danielle Ayana James, a minister of, at the Hill, Hillhurst United Church and a life and ministry leadership coach. Why did I say pretty flower? I was searching and I found out that the word or the name Ayana it has an Ethiopian origin and it means a pretty flower. So good morning, Danielle. Good morning, David. Good to be with you. Uh, a little bit about Danielle's history. She was born in Trinidad and Tobago. That's right. And immigrated to Canada twice, I think. That's right. And we'll talk about it later. Uh, and ended up in Canada as a teenager. Uh, Following, she got her bachelor's degree in science. She got her bachelor's bachelor of science degree from McMaster University in Ontario. You earned your master's degree at Yale University, and you finished with your doctor of ministry from McCormick Seminary at the University of Chicago. So far, good. So far, right on. <laughs> uh, you, Danielle served uh, in churches in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, uh, Ontario, and Alberta. And she's a certified life and ministry leadership coach, and she's married to Lloyd McDonald. So far, I have all my information correct? That's right. It's okay, good to be perfect. So, Danielle, uh, let's start with some personal questions so that our audience will get to know you on a personal level before we jump into uh, spirituality and business. I promise not to ask you two uh, tough questions about uh, religion uh, and compare mine to yours. <laughs> uh, we did it over coffee. Um, so, tell us a little bit about your heritage because... You have a very unique heritage. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, that's right, David. I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a republic island just off the coast of Venezuela. And that nation was colonized by many different peoples. And all of those peoples brought their own labor force. So um, on my father's side, we are historically, ancestrally uh, Chinese. And we came as indentured laborers to work the sugarcane plantations. And my mother's side... Um, predominantly is West African. And in there, we've fused with some Scottish, some uh, Native South American ancestry, the Arawak peoples. Um, and I found myself here today living, uh, coming from a cosmopolitan background into a cosmopolitan culture here in Canada. So it works for me that way. So is it possible to keep some of those or all of those heritages 
Because it's a mixed heritage. It's mixed. And what's happened is in Trinidad, there's a real fusion of those cultures. So it's not uh, the kind of Chinese culture we find in Hong Kong or mainland China. It's a West Indian, Caribbean, Chinese culture. Um, So it's very distinctive in that way from our foods to our patois, to our dress, to our way of parenting and being with one another. So you like spicy food? I like spicy food. (laughs) Perfect. What did your parents do in Trinidad and Tobago, and what did they do after they immigrated? Yeah, both both mom and dad are working professionals, recently retired, um, and dad worked in business, worked in manufacturing industry, and mom uh, retired as a human resources professional and worked in uh, the academic world at various universities in Ontario. And so they did that um, in Trinidad and continued those careers when we emigrated. I see. And what do you remember? You immigrated, uh, your second immigration was what age? I was about 11. 11. So what do you remember from growing up as a child in Trinidad and Tobago? Oh, my goodness. I remember the unity of family. My grandfather just lived down the street and around the corner from where we were. Um, I remember the intensity of school growing up, going to a private Catholic school with Irish nuns. Meanwhile, Sunday morning, we were at the Presbyterian Church, and Friday evenings, probably at some kind of Pentecostal church revival. So I remember just diversity, and with all the cultures I mentioned earlier, we were also celebrating um, East Indian Hindu festival of Diwali, Ramadan, um, Yom Kippur was being celebrated on the islands, of course. (laughs) So just really the sense of inclusivity and diversity was the mainstay, continues to be the mainstay of how I see the world and um, how I intend to live in the world. I see. Uh, why did you celebrate Yom Kippur? It's a day we fast, if you, if you know that. Oh, I celebrate, I mean, it's, like, it's acknowledged as I a see. part of our, our cultural diversity. We have to do it, but why do you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to volunteer for a day of fasting. Um, and um, you mentioned that you remember the unity of the family. So it's yeah. basically kind of almost like a tribal, like the family stays together in Trinidad of Tobago or live in the same areas. Uh, well, compared... You know, with a lot of cultures, there's a sense in which the younger generations take care of those who have come before. And so your ancestors matter, whether they're your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. And um, the legacy that you create, the way that you represent your family, Um, just like businesses, you know, a lot of my family and the way that I operate now, I mean, we're we're grounded in our values. What is it that makes us, um, that identifies us as the kind of people we want to be in the world? Um, so all families in, in my cultural background have a sense of what their core values are. Are we a people who strive to serve others? Are we a people who strive to love others with kindness? Um, so that's what I mean by that kind of like neighborhood of relationships. Do you still have family back in Trinidad and Tobago? We have some, you know, uh, Commonwealth Nation, many of us have emigrated either to the UK or to Canada, um, but there are some back home. So where do you go visit more UK or Trinidad and Tobago? Yeah, I probably frequent the islands more. <laughs> the beaches are better. <laughs> I see. Um, so tell us the story. You immigrated to Canada twice. Yeah, it's one of those stories I take lightly and humbly um, because I know that there are lots of folks who emigrate um, not because they have the choice, you know, they're refugees, they've had struggle. My mom and dad put in an application, this was the mid-70s, and um, 1978, they moved up to Canada, downtown Toronto. Um, Mom was pregnant with baby number two to come, and I celebrated my one-year birthday. Um, But mom and dad describe a different world back then. Uh, Trudeau's Multicultural Act had just come into play in Canada and my mom is a statuesque black woman and my father a more petite China man (laughs) (laughs) so uh, they experienced quite some overt experiences of racism 
and um, they uh, decided to go back home and uh, have their two additional children and then we did it again 10 years later. So how long was the first attempt? Uh, less than a year. Less than a year. Less than a year. And then when was the second uh, and successful attempt to immigrate? 10 years later. 10 years. So you were 11. I was 11. So um, you come here at 11 years old, uh, you know, you got into uh, elementary school. Yeah, right? that's right. Uh, any hurdles as the new immigrant coming to the new society, to the to kind of kids? Always new hurdles. My goodness. Children are rough. <laughs> I mean, that's the phase in your life where you're trying to figure out who you are and uh, what matters most to you. Mm-hmm. And identity is at the core as you build it and form it in that time. Um, I had come from this uh experience of wearing the uniforms and the nuns checking everything from the length of your fingernails to if your if your shoes were polished just properly so <laughs> into a public school system in um, in Ontario and I remember being challenged just by um, that shift in discipline mm-hmm. so it had to move from externally externally mandated discipline into an internal drive. And so um, th- that for me was a significant shift, but that drive has served me well, making an internal decision. Here's what I'm going to go for. I need to make, I need to take the actions in my life in order to get the kind of future and success that I want to have. And, and as, uh, you know, life progresses and you go to middle school and then high school, was it easier? What kind of school did you go to? Yeah, public school all the way. Um, really amazing programs um, throughout Southern Ontario. I had a fabulous experience. Um, again, there's something about uh, personal drive and um, being open to walk through the doors that open. The last year of high school in Ontario, there's um, a science center, and I think many cities have them now. Top cities here in Calgary, we have the Telespark Center. Um, but in Ontario, the Ontario Science Center continues to offer a high school program. So I left my public school where I was and went to the Science Center for my last year of high school. So everything from doing science displays with the public mm-hmm. and gaining those skills um, to taking my actual credit courses. So lots of experiences. Um, I think for me, there's a sense in which the attitude is stay open, stay positive. And if if, if something becomes available to you, um, to be courageous and brave enough to say, to lean in and say, I'm going to go for it. I yeah. don't always know how I'm going to do it, <laughs> but there's a sense in which there's probably a benefit in putting your neck out there. Uh, during your uh, high school and middle school, did you do any extra curriculum or just? Oh, music just... was such a part of my life. Music okay. was really key. Um, what did you play or what are you playing? Well, vocal jazz was really important to me. Um, piano, flute. Um, yeah, just creating music in a lot of different ways, whether it was band or jazz ensemble. Um, again, some discipline is really important, but there was something about being exposed to beauty through music um, that continues to inspire and touch. In my current line of work, it's interesting, uh, music is a part of what it is to be in faith communities. And so it, it shows up regularly. And I'm so I'm so pleased that my parents had that insight and those experiences were available to me just to explore live music and what that, what that so do you still play any instruments? Yeah, I still, I still play the piano, still sing weekly. Um, in the past few years, I've picked up the African drum called the djembe. Okay. And so um, I beat on my drum quite a bit. 
Oh, better than beating on Lloyd. <laughs> you have to take your aggression somewhere. Well, it's it's a joy to work it out in that way. And the beauty of drum circles is something that's really opened me to community life and team building, um, being in rhythm with others. So when I uh, ask your teachers from high school uh-huh. or any of uh, your schoolmates right. to describe, can you tell me what you really think about Danielle Ayana? Wow. Hmm. So what? you think they will say? They'd say that I was um, gregarious, a little precocious, um, tender-hearted, uh, inquisitive, um, and always raring to go. Like, just bring on the next adventure. Oh, you're an adventure. <laughs> Perfect. So your first uh, adventure after uh, high school is university. Mm. And you go to McMaster and you want to become a Doctor, medical doctor. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was pre-med and entered into their um, biological sciences degree program. For years, I thought that's what I wanted to do. That's how I wanted to make impact in the world. It just seemed like, you know, first born of an immigrant family, this this was the mantle I was going to carry. And uh, it seemed like a great synergy of the things I cared about, making a difference in the world, caring for others, a little bit of challenge. Um, and uh, I went for it. But something happens when you put yourself in a, another experience, a new adventure, new people come into your life, new experiences. Um, and that's what happened for me. I start connected with an organization that was doing some international travel work and humanitarian and faith-based work. Um, and so for four years, I roamed most of Central and South America with them. So every time in the summer, you go? Yeah, I disappear for anywhere from four to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it was Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico, Bolivia, um, and what happened was I saw the world, and my heart began to, um, I guess it's, it began to break open and realize that there are places of real privilege and there are places of real need, mm-hmm. and I mean, I can still, still feel the emotion rising. Um, there was a mentor I traveled with when I was about 18, and um, I, I was so hungry to figure out what I was passionate about. You know, what is it? What is it? And Dave turned to me and said, you know, sometimes it's wise to look at what pains your heart to access your passion, because that's where you're going to want to put energy and resources and time to make a difference. And so I felt my heart opening that one of the key pains for me was seeing those who are afflicted and coming alongside those who, whether it be hunger, poverty, um, political oppression, um, and started to have that that real embodied feeling in my heart, my body, my mind, that this was where, this was, this was the kind of work that would animate me. Just to make one thing clear, I wasn't that Dave. You were not that Dave, <laughs> sorry. This is Dave Skeet, a mentor of mine, yeah. Um, and uh, so how did the family accept your decision not to become a doctor after, uh, the, you know, getting your bachelor's degree? Yeah, I don't want to put words in my mother's mouth, but <laughs> I think it hurt a little. Just quote what she said. <laughs> Can we put it on radio? <laughs> well, you know, I've um, my parents love me deeply. Um, and uh, they also know that the world can be an interesting place. And so they wanted my path to be a path of, um, uh, they didn't want me to choose a hard path. And I've chosen a path that is unlike many others. So in a time when spirituality and religion um, for many is, is not attractive, to say the least, um, my, my intellect and my mind and my heart says, no, this is the place where true change can happen for justice, for beauty, for life. Um, 
yeah, it can Im- Im- impact the world in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you decide to go to your uh, to complete your master's at Yale That's at that right. time, mm-hmm. and it's master in divine divinity. 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 That's right. So, well, uh, when I saw that, I go, wow, she's connected to God. I can send a message. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the universities uh, in the United States, the Ivy Leagues especially, are grounded grounded in uh, the formation of the clergy. Mm -hmm. So that's how Harvard started, and that's how Yale started and Princeton started. Um, And so it was a a really amazing experience to uh, be in another country studying um, with diverse peoples um, from around the world, asking questions about um, not only faith, but about what it is to be human. Um, and going way back, I mean, the degree I have is based on the wisdom and insight writings of, of wise women and wise men from around the world across the ages. And uh, once you finished your master's, what, what was next for you? Well, you know, it was one of those um, big forks in my life. Um, uh, some of you, well, many of your listeners are in other countries other than Canada, so you know that um, there are different kinds of opportunities depending on the countries that you're in. So to stay in the States offered a certain kind of um, life path, possibly. So it was a significant decision to say and discern that home of Canada, though my immigrant home, um, was calling me and uh, I chose to come home largely because of the communal values that we have here as a nation. Um, I can definitely, uh, as a Canadian, speak to our our propensity for um, inclusion, for actions of justice, for uh, a momentum toward reconciliation that we, I think as a nation, strive to pay attention to the underdog and pay attention to those who are on the margins. Um, So the United Church of Canada is um, a Protestant denomination here in Canada and they live by those values. And so it, it was. It was the place and the theological home that I wanted to be a part of. Perfect. Um, we have to take our first break, our first commercial break. Right. Uh, uh, make sure to open a new uh, tab and check Danielle's life coaching website. It's www.daniellejames.ca. Uh, check it out, and we'll meet you here after the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Uh, we're back with you and with our guest, uh, Reverend Dr. Ayana Danielle James. And I'll call you Ayana. It's not always that I get to, you know, use such a unique name, and especially that now I know it means a uh, pretty flower. Yeah, the translation um, I really enjoy is eternal blossom. That's your translation. <laughs> I work with Wikipedia and Google. Um, I want to go back to something you said in our kind of uh, first uh, segment, and that's uh, you mentioned your ment- mentor, David Skeen. Um, and now that we kind of uh, will transit, transit into the business world and, and your experiences, how important is it to have a mentor? And, and do you still have mentors today? Absolutely. It is very important. I mean, you're only as good as your team is one of my grounding philosophies. And so it matters the people that you surround yourself with, um, who you're paying attention to and who's <clears throat> motivating you and, and calling you to accountability in your in your life journey. Um, I, I have been so abundantly blessed by amazing mentors. Um, David Skeen was an early one of them. I've got great people in my life now, like Sandra Hayes Gardner and Bill Phipps. Um, I had a wonderful couple, Nancy Strong and Bill Strong, who lived um, in Princeton, New Jersey. I spent a summer with them, who have become mentors in my life. Um, my sister is a mentor to me, my younger sister. Um, I really think it's about... Um, leaning into those relationships where you know wisdom lies. So when you deal today, uh, and I'm jumping here a little bit, but when you deal today with some of your uh, clients on the life uh, coaching or with some of your congregation, do you recommend people to have mentors? Do you kind of advise them how to find a mentor? What is, how do you find a mentor? Who you, do you, when do you know this is the person I want to be my mentor? Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. It's a great question. Um, you know, I, for me, it's about, like I said, designing the team. And in the team, for me, there are folks who have different kinds of roles. So mentors, for sure. Um, I think of people who are or have been where I want to go is one of my criteria and I think about folks who I give that title to. Other folks in the team include folks like, um, in my world, a spiritual director. So that's someone who has the capacity to um, sit with you and probe your life and your heart about what matters most. 
and in my vocabulary, that usually takes on a framework of where is God showing up mm-hmm. for you? Where is the spirit showing up for you? Um, sometimes on your team, you have um, therapists, psychotherapists, counselors. Sometimes on your team, you have a consultant, and that's a role of someone who can look at your life and say, okay, I'm going to be the expert and speak <laughs> and speak a truth that may be hard to hear. Um, and you could do with it as you want. So um, I think there are lots of roles that we want to surround ourselves with and people who live into those roles. And that's the essence of community, right? To help us become and live into the people that we are, we're capable of being. Uh, I, I like the first part of your answer when you talked about the mentor before you kind of jumped into the team, mm-hmm. that you choose a mentor that is where I want to be. Yes. That's perfect. Uh, I, I love that. Thank you so much for that. So you, you come back to Canada after you've done your master's at Yale right. and where? Right, Canada. Canada is a big country. It is. No, I, I came back to the neighborhood where I grew up, so into the Toronto region, and worked in um, a fabulous church community called Islington United Church um, in the Etobicoke neighborhood. Um, and there I was mentored by um, by uh, Mark Aitchison, um, a retired minister now, just this past year, who taught me some of the... Um, uh, th- another dimension of what success looks like and that's some of the uh, work of integrity of, of character and of heart um, and Mark for me was someone who embodied the kind of gentle strength uh, that makes you want to follow another because really a leader is someone a leader is someone who has followers otherwise you're just someone t- out there taking a walk um, and so he really had that kind of disposition of gentle strength and wisdom and integrity that said if you follow me um, I will take you to a place that you can trust mm, interesting so what was his uh, road to success as a mentor <laughs> you what's, know, the, what's the roadmap What's the road? Yeah, we'd have to have Mark have a conversation about that. Um, but for me, one of the key things that he modeled was a transparency of conversation. If I had a question, Mark, how did you do that? Or what are you trying to do here? We were able to have conversation about it. So transparency for me, transparency for me is one of those hallmarks that you look for in a mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, so uh, when did you move to Alberta? Oh, so the way it works in, or did work in uh, the church that I'm ordained in, uh, is that you would become ordained, which is the fancy word for uh, becoming a minister of the church, professional minister of the church, and they would send you out. They'd send you out. So uh, when I was ordained, they sent me out in my little DL Volvo. I drove five days from Toronto across the prairies uh, to Alberta, to a a 3,000-person community called St. Paul, Alberta, just outside of Edmonton. Um, And so that was coming on 12 years ago now. 12 years ago. That's a big change from Toronto to 3,000 people on a good day, on a sunny day enormous cultural change and I went from a very diverse multicultural community in Toronto to a different kind of multicultural. So in a town of 3,000, agriculturally based, we were 17 kilometers away from a beautiful uh, First Nations community called Saddle Lake Reserve. Wonderful people of heart, of passion, of vision. Um, We were in the heart of uh, the Bishop's Seat, so the Roman Catholic French-speaking community. The heart of Ukrainian land right there at St. Paul, Alberta, and, and little Danielle Aguera shows up. <laughs> Blazing saddles. 
it really was a vibrant learning experience. I'm so grateful for the people to the people of St. Paul, Alberta, for their for their warmth. Um, but it wasn't without struggle. So, did you feel like the new sheriff at Blazing Saddles in the movie? <laughs> With your Volvo. <laughs> I'm not going to claim that title, but uh, it, it was it was the Wild West for me um, and a new adventure. So you you get into this community with about 3,000 people. Yeah. And you are now a leader. That's right. And it's your first experience as leading as a leader. Mm-hmm. On my own. On your own. Mm-hmm. How, how did you feel? What was... Terrified. Yeah. Anxious. Um, I was there for three years. Definitely experienced my first... Uh, what broke the ice? For you, say like, that a different way. Like, when did you feel I'm making it? I'm, I'm, in, I'm getting into their hearts. They're open to me. That they accept me. Uh, I'm a leader. I'm becoming a leader. I'm growing as a leader. Oh well, whew, lots of moments. I mean, getting into their hearts, being accepted and loved. That would, that came more easily because their hearts were open to accepting and loving. When I felt like I was making a difference and an impact, that's. I knew that when my name starts showing up in the newspaper and <laughs> and they didn't necessarily like what I was saying and showing up at, at uh, the city hall meetings. Um, and when we started advocating for LGBTQ rights um, in this 3,000 person small town, um, that's when I knew I was starting, I was living into what was real for me um, and what mattered for me as a leader speaking with and alongside the people um, I was serving with. And, and in a small community, how important is that role? Oh, it, it, it is the role. It is what matters. Um, small community, big community. Whenever we have a platform to uh, speak uh, with others, to be a voice for the voiceless, um, to, to highlight uh, where the struggles are and what the potentials are, I think it's our responsibility uh, to use those platforms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important in all areas, on the big global scale, um, in our neighborhoods, in our families, to be the kind of leaders um, in our in our family units, whatever those look like. And uh, when did you decide to go for your doctor's doctorate while you were there at St. Oh, Paul? No. Or? St. Paul, I was there for three years um, and uh, then moved a little closer to the city, to Edmonton, um, my congregation called First United in Fort Saskatchewan. Um, I fell in love. I met my now husband, Lloyd McDonald, um, and it was really funny. Uh, the thing about having passion is that you can't always tell it when to show up. <laughs> so <laughs> we got engaged, we got married, and uh, the day after our honeymoon, I started my doctoral studies. Y- you just you just got to go for it sometimes. Uh, that's when the passion woke woke up inside of me. I had a really another good mentor. I was trying to discern when to do um, my doctoral work, and uh, this mentor said to me, she said, uh, you need to start, do that when you have a question that will take you through it. What's the burning question? What was the question? You know, the do you question. Remember? Yeah, the question was about beauty. The question was: Is it possible that being touched by beauty in one's life can um, cause you, me, others, um, to work for good, the common good, and justice in the world? Can beauty convict you? And that that's what I asked over the doctoral study. And um, I looked at um, my congregation at the time. We, we worked with groups of 10, 12 people to develop uh, beauty gazers. So the whole, the whole teaching was, could your life be used in such a way 
that you are amplifying or that you're seeding beauty in the world. And uh, that was your thesis about? That was my thesis work. And, and for some beauty... What's the answer? It, absolutely, the answer is yes. <laughs> we're meant, I think we're meant to be beauty amplifiers in the world, if that makes sense. So whether it's in your chosen line of industry, of entrepreneurship, of business, of, um, of heartfelt work, of parenting, um, if, we can, if we can contribute more beauty than ugliness... If we can leave our relationships, our communities, our workplaces, our business practices, um, and lead them in a way that um, accentuates the good, which is what I'm saying here when I talk about beauty, um, I think we've we've made a mark on the planet that that matters. And uh, where do you see our world today in your eyes? Oh, yeah, we're working hard. We're okay. working hard. <laughs> you know, I try to, for me, it's all about... Um, the, the asset approach, right? So where where is the life happening? It's very easy to notice where the decay is happening, where the death is happening, because that, that's what we get fed with all the time. But um, waking up as a human being, and I would encourage, you know, listeners out there, you know, just to check in with yourself daily. Um, have I noticed and have I paid attention to something that is good? And in do, so doing, how have I come alongside it? Mm-hmm. Um, so in St. Paul, you were the only church, I guess. From we were the only area. United Church. United yeah. Church. That's right. You moved to Edmonton, yeah. which is a little bit bigger or right. much bigger. Yeah. And there are many churches. So now you have to do also business. You have, yeah. to, you have to go out and get uh, uh, new people to join the congregation, donate money. So now you're moving into the business world. How did this change kind of impact you? Man, I really wish that seminary had trained me for that, too. <laughs> and I think a lot of the ministry leaders that I coach now request the same thing or wish they had the same thing, too. Yeah, it's um, evangelism in the church. For some, it's a, a, not a pretty word, but it really just means bearing the good news. It means being in advertising. That's what it is. You have to sell. You got to sell, church. right? <laughs> this is one of the oldest products. Hey, we've got a message of love, hope, justice, and peace. Um and we knock on the door, the door of your heart, the door of your home, whatever have you, um, will you give us five minutes for us to share this? And then will you come and experience it with us? It's an ancient product. So it's one of the oldest um, uh, business structures <laughs> that's out there, absolutely for sure. So the learning curve has been steep. You know, um, it's it, it was taking it from a small business model where you knew you knew your clientele; they were just in the neighborhoods, and trying to grow that through yeah the branding, the marketing, being clear on our mission and purpose statement, on our value proposition. Why would someone commit to living in community when they're trying to get home to feed their children? They're trying to make ends meet, um, why would someone give a preacher 25 minutes of their time on a Sunday morning? What's the value proposition in that, right? And then to ask the questions about what is, what are the bottom lines? Um, what's the financial bottom line? What's the ecological bottom line? What's the spiritual bottom line? So for me, it's been um, really compelling to hold alongside our um, historical faith direction and the way we've done church, in quotation marks, next to some of the savviness and great questioning and and processes that come with a business acumen and mindset. Um, And you're right, they have to go hand in hand. So you, you mentioned all the questions that if I can summarize it to one question, it's what's, my, what's the return on investment? Exactly. If I invest the time, the money to donate, what is it, 10%? Is it like ours? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, what, 
what was your kind of answer? What's your return on my investment? If, right. I, if I come and listen to, to Ayana on Sunday and right. I spend an hour, is it an hour more or less? Sure, yeah. <laughs> cheaper than ours. Uh, what is my return on investment? And I give you 10% of what I make. It's so fun. It's such a great question. What's the ROI? Um, for me, it's about abundant life. That is the ROI. And I can't put that in percentages. I can't put that... Um, in a portfolio spreadsheet for you, um, but it's about abundant life. It's about it's about living into uh, the true self and living out some of the fullest potential that we have. We all are. I think I think most human beings have a sense that we want to bloom where we are planted. We want to be our fullest selves, um, and not everyone gets the same starting point, right? But so the, the, the places where we've been planted, the context, the country, um, the socioeconomic privileges that we have, the opportunities, the hardships we've been through, the places we've risen up, we want, we want to be our best selves. So I think that's the best ROI that there is um, to say that there is a life abundant and you can put your full self into it. Um, and with the community of others around you, team, the mentors, the preacher, the, the friend, um, you can have that life. Um, we're going to discuss after the uh, next break um, the life coaching and uh, where do you see yeah, the role the role of spirituality in business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have one question before we kind of uh, go into our break. We have about a minute and a half. Is do you see or do you, during your experience did you have um, some business owners, business people come to you looking for advice as a spiritual leader because they had a rough time in their business or lost their business or didn't know which direction to go with their business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for for my line of work, folks will come to me or seek relationship, not for business insight. They'll come to you for that, David, but they'll come for um, the human face of it. So there's a sense in which we do our work, but we sh- we show up as human beings to our work. So I'll have great conversations with folks about character, about ethics, about the role of morality, um, about how, how you discern um, the next step in a really hard decision, um, about values. Uh, those those are the core things, and you can call all that spiritual, or you can call all of that, um, you know, being human. <laughs> it, it's at the bedrock of of who we are, because um, the work the, the work is one thing, the job is one thing. Um, showing up to it as full human beings, that's what living is. Thank you uh, for your answer. Um, we have to take our second commercial break, and um, I want to remind our listeners: don't forget to log in to daniellejames.ca. Uh, follow Danielle Ayana on Twitter, like her on Facebook, and connect with her on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we'll be back here at the uh, for the last segment of our show in about two or three minutes, and we'll take it for commercials now. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Uh, we're back with our guest, Reverend Dr. Ayana Danielle James. And um, Ayana, I want to read a few lines from your own website because when we did uh, our research, I, I really realized that uh, some of the you know, promotion you put on your website really fits our show like 100%. So mm-hmm. I'll read a few of the things you have on your website. Um, so you say, leave out your purpose and take action for the future you envision. Mm. You say, I, meaning you, help clients who are ready to take action toward a renewed and transformed life. I offer a unique form of trans- transformational coaching that allows you to take a journey of discovery, self-awareness, clarity, and action. Mm-hmm. The reason I like those is, uh, if you're listen to the promo when we started the show, it talks about, the whole show is about encouraging people to make a change. My family made, we made a change when I was 40 and we moved to another country and that's my what I want to inspire people to do. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about your unique way of being a life coach or business coach or coach of change. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see when you... Uh, or, or let me rephrase it. What is the biggest hurdle you see in people in not making a change, in staying where they are even though their heart, their wishes, their dreams is, I have a dream. Remember that sentence, mm-hmm. right? Where do you see the, the kind of problem they have in making this change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. You know, for me, 
problems are the other side of opportunity. So what I think are uh, what the hurdle is is also the opportunity also lies in it. Um, and at the core of it for me, I think, is that we are creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. And so much about getting unstuck, which is what activates change, getting unstuck is about shifting our habits. And that can reside in our bodies, in our mind, in the way that we think, um, in our environment, um, you know, things like get, get what time we get up in the morning, for instance. Um, so... Yeah, the, the resistance is also the opportunity. How do we shift our habits, our ways of being, regular, our default ways of being, and try on new ways? What I love about um, life and leadership coaching is, um, is that I get, to, I get to experience other people um, and see them in a way that they may not be seeing themselves. So I look at my clients as fully resourceful, already competent and capable. I think there was a time maybe 20, 25 years ago when the term coaching was implied that someone had a deficit and they mm-hmm. needed to be fixed. So mm-hmm. let's coach that up. Now it's really, and for me, working with people who are able to see, and I see it in them, are able to acknowledge that, hey, I've, I've got some skills. I've got some tools. I am resourceful. I am insightful. I am creative. I just need to tap into it. And so my approach is really about, um, I talk about excavating or mining the richness of each client. So we, we dig deep. We dig deep at the core of um, what some of those obstacles are, what some of those habits are, ways of being, ways of thinking. Um, And then we practice tools to help us shift out of that. And many of the tools come from my own client's wisdom. They know what works for them, right? They know what generates life for them, what them, what gives them the strength to make a change. Because if you look at your own life story, you've probably made change before. And so what's helped you champion those moments and to really learn from your own life? That's what learning is. If you just accumulate experiences and you don't reflect on it, you're probably not learning, not stretching. So the coaching environment allows allows us together, you have an ally, a team, a person on your team is your coach, to look at your life, reflect on it, get curious about it, um, and then apply some of those skills moving forward. And still, you know, I... I we discussed it, and you know uh, that I worked with a coach as well. Yeah. And uh, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said we're creatures of habits. And, yeah, when, when I sat with the coach or coaches that I had over the years, uh, uh, you know, we discovered and a few things. But it, as we, you know, the, the month goes by between meetings and we fall back to our habits, how right. do you create that consistent change that people can, you know, take that uh, session or elevate themselves from when they get the answers and not fall back to to uh, their old habits. Yeah. Well, every good coach has a coach. So I experienced the same thing with my coach. And, um, so I you know, fall back to Oh, old I know habits. what it is to fall back. Absolutely. There's something that's risen inside of me in the past several years, which is just this um, a little bit more clarity. And very recently in my own life journey, more clarity is to... Uh, discerning what it is I really want, right? Who, who is it that I really want to be? What kind of person do I want to be in this world? What change do I really want to make? I have to want it. I have to feel it deep down inside of me. Um, I know that lots of folks talk about that story about you know getting down to that bottom level of the valley. They're in that pit place, right? There's nowhere to go but up. Um, so there's that personal drive. And then the other piece of it is that accountability. I say to all my clients, Sure, we're going to talk again in four weeks, but 
there's spot coaching. Give me a call. Send me a text. Give me an email if you just need a little bit of encouragement. We are not only creatures of habit, we're creatures of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so back to community, accountability, um, to know that you have someone in your corner that's your cheerleader. And that's and that's looking out for you, too. I really only get to the gym because I have a friend that gets, the, gets to the gym, too. <laughs> I get to the gym because my wife and my son... You know, if I don't go there, I get there my year full. Right. Accountability. <laughs> Accountability. Uh, so you you don't coach with a spreadsheet, I guess. No. Okay. Share with us how you coach. I put on my deep listening ears. Hmm. Uh, the the uh, institution that and people that trained me in coaching um one one sister leader said something very wise once. She said, if you're listening deeply enough, you'll hear that your clients are giving you what they need from you. So people are already offering you their what, what they need. Like they're, they're telling you. So I find so much of the skill that I'm tapping into is that deep listening so that I can reflect and that I can um, hold up a mirror to the client so that they can, so that she can see herself, right? And in seeing, when you behold yourself, you realize, my goodness, that is something I really love or that's something that I could tweak, mm-hmm. right? So to work with folks who, when they see that mirror, have the self-awareness and have that inner drive, um, yeah, it's definitely a part of that. So, so you bring uh, or, or encourage people to bring uh, spirituality into their business? I encourage people to bring their whole selves into all of their living. And so if your vocation, and I use that word, I use that word intentionally, you know, vocation, the root of that has to deal with the Latin of vocari. If your way of bringing voice into the world is through your business, through your professional practice, um, then yeah, bring all that you are. Um, Taylor de Chardin, uh, said that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I like that flip because so much of life these days, we get the message, no, you're human and you can tag on spirituality or you're human and you can tag on ethical living. <laughs> um, but for me, it's about the fullness of who you are, your vocation, how you bring voice into the world. Um, and yeah, bring your whole self to it. Um, in the last seven or eight or nine years, we had two recessions here. Yeah. One, we had the global recession, then we had now in the last two years, the Alberta recession. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, what kind of experiences did you have with, with business owners or entrepreneurs that went through those uh, rough times as, as a coach, as a minister? Mm-hmm. What did you kind of feel, see, get? Um, what did they ask you? Yeah. What kind of advice you gave them? Two words come to mind. One is resilience and one is innovation. Um, I am continuously astounded at um, folks here in Calgary and folks that I coach uh, across North America um, who are intentionally building their capacity for resilience. And resilience basically means just the ability to get back up again. The ability to get back up again. and we can take on particular ways of practicing that. Um, so resilience building for sure is something that I'm seeing. And the other thing is innovation. When you get back up again, you see the world, you see your own life, you see the boom or the bust from a different perspective. You were down, 
now you're at a different angle. Um, one of the things that's been really inspiring here locally in the city has been um, some of the social entrepreneurship ventures that have been happening um, and some of the innovation that's that's showing up in, in those kind of like lion den uh, um, uh Initiatives. So, I, I, yeah, I'm seeing resilience and innovation where people's imaginations are being tweaked for what is possible instead of what has always been status quo. So, it's very easy to say resiliency. It's very tough to make it happen, mm-hmm. uh, especially when your business is down, when you are down. Mm-hmm. How do you get them to elevate to that level that they can get up? I think it was one of the NFL coaches who said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many how fast you get up. Yeah. But how do you get up, how do you help them get up fast enough? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm, I pause because I'm trying to figure out if that's, if that's the coach's work. I mean, the coach's work, NFL or, or my role, you know, is, is to keep that mantra and that vision in front of them as to what's possible when you get up. Um, resilience, resiliency and, and capacity building for resiliency within the individual is being able to to see and feel the vision of why it's worth getting up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? So it's about, it's about having that, curating, designing that inner vision um, for, for what is possible and having that be strong and compelling enough. You've got to have your why. You know, I'm quoting Simon Sinek now, but you've got to have your why. Um, we're really getting to the end of our show in a couple of minutes and and I have two quick questions um, any regrets or mistakes you kind of uh, look back that you regret of doing yeah <laughs> I do. you, you don't have to mention all yeah I'm human so really? <laughs> yeah very human so lots of regrets um, ways in which I've showed up in the world one of the things I, I I've been pra- working on you know with my own life coach and and uh, my spiritual director my own team is um is trying to figure out how you show up in the world in a way that feels uh deeply authentic and deeply honest um so much so that when someone meets you they know that you're being you and uh, i think it's just one of those really invaluable priceless ways of being in the world so i work on that you know i'm a i'm a younger ish racialized woman uh, who wears a collar around her neck as a reverend <laughs> and uh, the world has a lot of assumptions about who i am and how i operate in the world and i just want to be experienced um for for me you're doing very well being you thanks even though in all our discussions about different things in the world, we always agree that I'm right at the end. <laughs> um, any last piece of advice? Oh, gosh. Uh, to live wholeheartedly. Your congregation now is our listeners. Oh, is that right? Yes. yes. So okay. what is your last piece of advice? So to the people. <laughs> to the people. Um, may you know that you already are, are enough. Uh, may you know that uh, being brave and courageous in the world has rewards. May you show up every day um, rising from rising from the shadows and into the light. Um, yeah, may you have an impact on the world that makes a difference. So one question to close. So that wasn't advice, that was a yeah. blessing. Yeah, so <laughs> I figured that out. <laughs> one question to close quickly. Yeah. If you had a chance now to invite two or three people Dead or alive for lunch? Oh my goodness. I would invite Mother Teresa, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 
And okay, I'll join. Oh. I'll be the third. <laughs> You'll be the third. <laughs> Uh, we reached the end of our t- of today's show, uh, taking care of business. I would like to thank very much to my guest, uh, Reverend Dr. Ayana Danielle James, for sharing your personal story as well as your experiences and, and uh, spiritual being a spiritual leader and a life coach, um, life and leadership coach, I yeah. should say. Uh, next Tuesday, I'll be hosting Tara Molina, president of New Wave Media, a full service marketing agency, and she will teach us. Uh, about market, the marketing industry, what makes it uh, you successful in that industry, competitive industry. Before we end, I would like to thank Nathan, our dedicated engineer, and Cassandra, my loyal production assistant, that came from back from a vacation in Spain while I was working. Uh, make sure that uh, like you like us on uh, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Twitter. And email me at dvwalk at gmail.com. I wish you all a prosperous week, and I'll meet you here next Tuesday, June 6, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.